You're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM WMCN McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We're on our way into our number two, our bicycle hour. And in studio with me today is Keith Morikal. Keith, welcome. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you in studio with us. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about some ultra-distance uh, cycling endeavors that you're part of. Um, but as we always do, uh, we start with some velodrome news. And the Ghent six-day races just wrapped up in Belgium. And Kenny DeKettle and Robbie Geese won the event there. It was kind of entertaining because uh, Mark Cavendish, who was riding with hometown favorite uh, Elio Kaisa, crashed in the time trial event early on, I think night one, actually. And uh, they were out of contention pretty much right away after that so that was a tough tough night for the hometown crowd but uh Dekedla and and geese are a solid pair so good congratulations due to them uh, we've also got the next world cup coming up in hong kong that's going to be next weekend from november 29th through december 1st so lots going on in the world of track cycling but uh keith we're going to talk about some stuff that's a little bit longer than your traditional uh track race um ultra endurance events just a bit. <laughs> How did you get started in ultra endurance? Oh, geez. Um, I wanted to do uh, the uh, RAM back when it started. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in college those days, and uh, I saw it, and I said, I just got to do that someday. And RAM, for people who don't know, is right across America, right? It's across America, yep. and it's from San Diego to uh, somewhere here in Washington, mm-hmm. Virginia. And it's uh, First guy, first person wins, uh, go as fast as you can. And, and they're completing it in, what, seven, eight days now? Man. It's just unbelievable. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I turned into a workaholic, sat at a desk for years and years on end, mm-hmm. and just uh, commuted to work and stuff. And then um, I sold my business, and I started working for it as, a, as an entrepreneur consultant. Hmm. And I uh, was doing some research late at night on this company, and I was like, oh, gee, I wonder what ever happened to the RAM. I haven't heard about it in years. Hmm. Plugged it into the net, and it comes up, and it's like, wow, it's still going. And it's like, oh, yeah, but you need four vehicles, and you need, you need right. crew, and it's a lot of money. And I said, oh, jeez, I still can't do that. And then all of a sudden, the Transamerica bike race popped up. And it's like, self-supported? You do it on your own? <laughs> it's across the country? I'm going to do it. And literally the next morning I started training. It was just, wow. Yeah. So the, the internet rabbit hole sucked you in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, had you been doing any touring, like, you know, bike uh, adventure riding prior to this? Yeah, I did. I, uh, when I was younger uh, in college and stuff, I didn't have a lot of money, so I toured as my vacations. Hmm. You know, down both coasts, Canada, mm-hmm. wow. and around the country. Uh, northeast, whatever, and then I had some kids, and that, and I didn't realize at the time that I could have toured with them. I could yeah. regret that a little bit, and it kind of went away. But then, as soon as I sold my business, first thing I did was I took a tour across from Seattle to Boston. Wow! With my daughter and her boyfriend. fun. And uh, that was quite an experience. I you bet. You don't often get to spend almost two months within 30 feet of your daughter yeah. and her boyfriend. Wow. Nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good opportunity to get to know one another. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did it go well? It went really well. It was awesome. <laughs> awesome trip. That's fantastic. And so how, how do you plan for a trip like that? I mean, with the three people like that, I mean, I can understand planning for yourself, but then you've got the dynamics of two other people along with you. How do you manage that? Well, you know, for anyone that's been touring, 
true, you know, panniers on the mm-hmm. back, and you throw everything you need on your bike and sure. so forth. It really is so freeing that you can just start going. Fun. And once you start going, it's like, okay, well, how far do we want to go today? Let's mm-hmm. stop. You know, so, yeah. So that's really what it came out to be. And uh, there was one ironic thing about that story, and that was that I was always pushing for more mileage, mm-hmm. and both my daughter and Jared were were pushing for smelling the roses a little bit more, <laughs> both for good reason. Yeah. And um, you know, and uh, I remember saying over and over and over. Uh, when we'd have these conversations, I just like to ride my bike. I just like to ride. Yeah, right. And uh, and that came back and bit me later on in the Trans America <laughs> when I'm riding my bike. And I said, okay, let's just think about this. Uh, do I still love this bike as much? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So the planning was on the on the fly in that particular case. Yeah, and it seems like that's the kind of. I mean, it really presents you those opportunities. You know, if you've got an open ended time frame that you can take advantage of, you know, you really can play it as as differently as you'd like. Exactly. Yeah. And so what was do you remember your first tour? Do you remember the first ride that you did that you, know, you talked about a bunch of rides that you've done? Yeah. My first tour I was uh I, I grew up in Menominee, Wisconsin, just over the river here mm-hmm. at, in the land of Stout. And uh and uh my high school buddy wanted to move out to California to like do the California scene, live in commune, wow. didn't know anybody out there, but we were gonna drive out He's there. He's a total hippie. A total hippie. <laughs> and um and I decided I was going to bring my bike because I always wanted to ride down the Rockies. When hmm. I was a little kid, we'd drive out there as a family. And I was like, I wanted to ride down the Rockies. And he took his bike because he was moving. He hadn't used it in two years. Well, we, we met two people on Lake Nokomis out just paddling one day. And they said, well, if you ever make it to California, come down to L.A. and we'll show you around. I was like, okay, that sounds like wow. a fun deal. So we make it out to San Francisco, his car breaks down. It's $440 to fix. We didn't have anywhere near that money in our pocket. Wow. So we said, well, how do we get to L.A.? Do we hitchhike? Do we take the bus? Or do we take our bikes? And I said, well, geez, let's go take our bikes for sure. <laughs> wow. And so I went out and bought this cheap pair of little panniers. He didn't buy anything. He he put his uh, sweatshirt around the seat of his uh, to you know for added padding and took a duffel bag <laughs> and threw it over the center bar and we headed out from uh, San Francisco to L.A. So you prepared and he kind of took the Tom Sawyer route, right? <laughs> oh, it was the best. It was the best. Route. That's fantastic. So fast forward a little bit. You, uh, what was your first race that you did? Your first cross country or endurance first race? First race I did was a year ago September. Wow. Yeah, I, I started this whole ultra endurance stuff two years ago. Wow. And it was the North Star Race from St. Paul to the Canadian border back along okay. Highway 61, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, single stage, unsupported, mm-hmm. first person wins kind of race. And uh, and by then I had already done a lot of study. I had a, over half a year of working on getting ready mm-hmm. for the Trans Am. So this was kind of my, a trial race. Sure. And uh it worked. It was a good learning event, but it, but it was, uh, and it worked out really well. I ended up in second on that. Event. Wow! So that Your first race, and you took second place yeah. out of how many participants? Only eleven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but still. You, yeah, sometimes you, you don't get huge bodies of racers. Yeah, I suppose. Wow! And so, uh, what was that experience like? I mean, um, it was. Uh, you know, it was. Re- it was. Uh, it was really exciting at the end. It seems like all my races have been exciting at the end. <laughs> and that was, um, I was really kind of trailing in third, and a guy was coming up kind of fourth, and I was coming into 
two harbors, and I was going to take a coffee nap and eat some food and then try to ride the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was in fourth, had, and I was kind of waiting for him to just say hi and, you know, what's going on. And he, I didn't, I was actually taking him to coffee nap when he came into town, so we missed each other, and he stopped at a hotel, but I thought he had kept going. Hmm. So I uh, got on and I raced like I was behind mm-hmm. in fourth, and I didn't want to be there. I was in third. But what happened was uh, the guy that was in second saw me taking such a long break in two harbors that he took a nap on the side of the path just outside <laughs> of Duluth. Uh, and we're talking like 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. But I am racing to catch up to fourth, <laughs> at, at which fourth had stopped in the hotel. And I am talking to my sister on the phone just like to keep me awake yeah. and stuff at night. And she goes... You know, according to Spot Watcher thing, it looks like you might have just passed him. Did you see anybody on the path? And I, you know, it's pitch black. I couldn't oh, see. Of I didn't see anything. So I just keep on blasting by. So now I'm in second, wow. going all the way. And I didn't realize <laughs> until oh hell, uh, excuse me, way past Hinkley that um, uh, that he was still back there. Wow. And so I was like, oh, this is great. So I raced into. Into finish. That's and, amazing. And second there, uh, but <laughs> but the funny thing was that he, when I came back, when he finished, and uh, he said, "You know, I heard somebody talking on the phone when they rode by." And <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, didn't he hear what saw I was his, he saw his destiny go by, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and what? So as you reflect on that very first event, what were some of the key things that you learned that you took away? Oh, geez. I, you know, the funny thing was, uh, the, uh, the better learning event was really what I decided to do before that, in March of last year, was ride from San Diego to Jacksonville, Florida, on my own as a time trial. Wow. To do it like the Transamerica bike race, mm-hmm. to see if it was, if I was just smoking stuff or if, if right. this was really viable. Yeah. And on that event is where I really started to learn things, hmm. like... Um, needing to know how to maintain your bike. Yeah. Uh, like, um, you know, how to deal with sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, you really need to eat right and, yeah. and consistently throughout. Um, uh, the other thing was, uh, but to answer your question directly, on that North Star, um, I went up the week before and did part of it just from Two Harbors up to Canada and back just to, because you're on the Gitche Gumi and I knew I'd be riding that at night. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tricky and stuff like that. And, um, and it was cold, and I froze, and I really died. I mean, I got back to Duluth, and I was—I felt like I was death warmed over. Wow! My practice. Yeah. And and so I took a lot of clothes. I took a lot of warm stuff. I I was so packed down on my bike. And the guy that won, John Lester, was an awesome rider, just mm. an awesomely strong rider. Um, had nothing. He had a windbreaker in the back pocket of wow. his jersey, and that was about it. Wow. And uh, and he just you know he just smoked all of us, but. So then I learned, well, you need to, like, lighten up mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to pack uh, better uh, uh, than, than I did. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, that's not always the case. Can I? Yeah, yeah. Can you just? Absolutely. Because I redid the race this year. Mm-hmm. And this year I won. John Lester was still in it, and John was way ahead. But this year, the temperatures were in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. The we had a 30 mo- mile an hour headwind from north-northeast all the way from St. Paul to the border. And then about halfway back, we got a huge, like, three sets of lightning storms, and then it 
and then the wind shifted around lighter, but coming from the south southwest. Hmm. So it was basically headwinds the whole the time, whole way. cold and wet. Rained twenty hours out of forty nine that it took me to do it. Oh man! And this time, I was I had two weeks before the race. I had unpacked all my bags and said I'm only taking the lightest of light stuff. Oh, Every no. day I'd look at the weather. I'd put in one more piece of kit, one more piece of kit. <laughs> one more. By the time the race started, I actually had one more shirt than I took on the Trans America for that race. Wow! And what happened was. Same thing in Duluth. Um, uh, sorry, this is getting a little long. Yeah, no, that's it's, right. It's the exact same great. finish. Is, yeah. I, was, I was going from Grand Marais home, and I did it all in two short stops. And one stop was at Betty's Pies. And that, it was oh, just of course. thunderstorming and raining and you know, <laughs> buckets of rain. And I'm in there for 55 minutes. I eat. I got another dinner. I got dried. And I still had some dry clothes. So I changed my clothes. I'm in there under the hair dryer in the bathroom, drying <laughs> out my socks a little bit, whatever. It's like making this huge mess on the floor. They were so forgiving and so nice. There, I was like, oh. and, and anyway, my hands were so pruny, I couldn't get my iPhone to work. To oh, my see gosh, because it wouldn't where, recognize. <laughs> to see where the other riders were. But oh, finally, man. as I'm leaving, I, I finally get it to click open, and I think I see the two guys pass me. The, I, I w- thought it was in uh, 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 second, mm-hmm. and, and I thought third and fourth had passed me. And so, While you were luxuriating in Betty's pies. Yeah, right. So I blast <laughs> off and in this huge thunderstorm, and I am once again racing from two harbors to Duluth to catch up to these these mythical go, creatures mythical people in front of me <laughs> and, and i get to duluth and this wonderful spot watcher comes racing out under a bridge in there or, or run excuse me yells out from the bridge keith keith hey you're doing great whatever i go i i can't stop i the two guys just passed me in two parts she goes nobody nobody's ahead of you I go wait i can't stop though you you know these guys are ahead of me and, and i'm barely slowing down and she starts running after me in these puddles and this rain it's like okay well what's going on okay i'll slow down and she goes john's ahead of you. john's only four miles ahead of you <laughs> oh no! Wow. Four minutes ahead of you, or something. Wow! What I didn't hear is the rest of her sentence, right? Which was in a hotel sleeping. <laughs> 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 and th- you, you got to understand, this guy is a really strong rider, and wow. so I just hammered, beat it, it out of <laughs> the Duluth again. Same story, exact same place. And I'm thinking to myself, it's the same time of day, doing the same thing. But um, and then I was going to stop at Hinkley because I knew there was one mm-hmm. gas station. Yep. There. And it's like, where's Hinkley? Where's Hinkley? I'm, you know, I'm actually getting kind of tired. This might not work out so well. Yeah. And I finally get my phone working. The rain finally stops enough so I can actually see it. Oh, he's John's still in Duluth, <laughs> and I, and I was in Hugo. So wow. it's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. this is really cool. So yeah, That's so I ended fantastic. up winning that one. But, wow. So bringing the right gear. Yeah, is, clearly is more important than bringing less. Yeah. More. I mean, there's so many logistics involved in in an ultra endurance event like this. I mean, how do you prepare? You know, what's that first that week right before the event look like for you? Um, by the week before the event, I'm pretty much there. Yeah. Um, what I like to do is I like to get to where it's going to start or no. You know, they. Well, the week before, I mean, if if you count packing your bike, packing sure. your stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a real analytical guy. You can tell just by my notes here today <laughs> that, uh, you know, I have a checklist for my bike, mm-hmm. for my gear, and for what I'm doing and how my training and so forth and so on. So I'm just doing, I'm just confirming that I've done everything, packing mm-hmm. up what I need, mm-hmm. you know. 
And then as the race approaches, really, I like to be kind of in race mode a day or two in advance. Mm. Like even the North Star, I'll go and stay in a hotel in St. Paul rather mm-hmm. than drive across the metro. I mean, just because wow. it's, it's easier and better to just be focused. I bet. Uh, and so say, that's what I would typically do mm-hmm. is really just try to get into the, okay, what am I doing now? Yep. Make sure my bike is 100% you you mentioned earlier that there's a whole mechanical thing you know taking care of your bike learning how to how to operate on your bike what kinds of extra stuff do you take along just to keep your bike in order yeah, that's a good question uh basically i have a little uh i have a multi you know i have what i need to fix what can be fixed easily yeah if, if your crank arm breaks off which doesn't happen <laughs> but what does happen you, you can lose your 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 uh, your derailleur, derailleur yep. hanger mm-hmm. so, so i have a derailleur hanger that i have pre-straightened in there i have a multi-tool i have um, i use tubeless tires i really swear by them and so I have interesting the worm that yep. you stick in mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't bring extra goo but i make sure the goo is fresh when i start um, I have a patch kit and tubes. I bring, like, for a long race, I bring yeah. two to three tubes mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and then I have a, a little DI2 wrench to, to make sure the wires are connected tightly. So you run electronic gear shifting? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Interesting. There's a lot that could go wrong with that, isn't there? There's a lot that does go wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) I I had four events uh, that I had DI2 problems with. Really? On every event except for the Transamerica, in fact. And so the first one, when I was doing my trial ride across the country Mm -hmm. by myself, the DI2 went out, and um, I was stuck in low gear. Oh, man. And the closest bike Spin, shop, spin, spin. And, and when you're in a DI2, you, you plug it in and reset it. It's software. Yep. It isn't working. And I was 68 miles away from the bike shop that was closest that had that software. So I went 68 miles out of my way to do that. On a single speed. On a sing, on lowest gear of a single speed. Jeez. And then uh, it took them all of 20 seconds to fix it. Because oh, of course. it was just, as soon as it connected in, it mm-hmm. recalibrated. And they said, well, you can buy some software. They hmm. do that on your phone. It's called E-Tube. So I got okay. E-Tube, and I learned how to do it. Well, <clears throat> that doesn't do everything. The next time I went out, <laughs> I was doing from St. Louis to Virginia to try the last half of the Transamerica route, mm-hmm. and uh, my my derailleur went out again. Mm, well, this man. time I had charged it before I left, and I thought it would last the whole way, and I didn't bring my charger cable, so I couldn't connect to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go to a bike shop and connect to it for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then the, 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 the next time I was, um, I was in Australia riding around, training, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, my rear derailleur went out. And I was like, oh, gosh. What? And now I had the E-tube. I had my charger. I knew how to do it. I did, and the solenoid had gone out on the actual oh, derailleur. So I had to ride back 40 miles to a bike <laughs> shop to get, get, get a new derailleur, which luckily they had. Wow. And then finally, I uh, in the PVP, I'm riding a lot, and my rear derailleur goes out. It's like, oh, they can't believe it. So now I've learned all this stuff. I have my backup battery that I can plug in my my DI2 battery to so yep. I can charge it on the run. So I did that while I'm going. And we're riding down the road, and it's and it's like, no, it's fully charged. So I go to an E-Tube, and E-Tube doesn't reset all the software exactly, but I figured out how to fake it into doing it. Wow. And that was I, while I'm riding... I am configuring my both my cassette and my chain ring to be 
different sizes than they actually are. Hmm. So the, the DI2 has to then think about, okay, how am I going to act to that? Interesting. And then I moved it back to what they really were, turned it off, turned it on, and it had and to then, recalibrate to that, to what huh, it was, wow. and it started working. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> so P- Perry Breast Paris is a hundred and some years old, right? Yes. How does it feel to have electronic problems <laughs> on a race that was started on basically single-speed bikes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing is I went with a good buddy of mine, and we both have carbon sure. endurance bikes. All the bells All and electronic, yeah, yeah. you know, disc brakes, the whole thing. And uh, we'd be riding along with these guys that have the good, and finger air quotes, classic right. condoneering bikes mm-hmm. with the fenders and the steel frames. Yep. The, you know, everything mechanical. Stainless steel bottles. and Yeah, <laughs> and people would ride up next to, the, like, say, the three of us. And they would talk to the guy in the Rondonierian bike and say, wow, that is a great bike. <laughs> and it really was. I mean, there was some really good, good, solid Rondonierian bikes. But I, I tell you, there's, there's nothing like a nice car aerodynamic bike. Absolutely right. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM WMCN, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm here in studio with Keith Markall, who is an ultra-distance cyclist, and we're talking about all of his exploits on the super long-distance rides. Um, obviously, one of your biggest accomplishments so far has been taking second place in the Transamerica bike race. Talk a little bit about how you got started thinking that that was a possibility. Yeah, boy, it was really weird. Um, I told you, you know, when I started that I just found it on the internet. Mm-hmm. And like the next day, I started training, and, and I didn't. I don't. I knew nothing about training. I knew mm-hmm. nothing. I had a 1991 Trek 520 was my bike. Wow, that's what I owned. Yeah, and that's what I rode. Mm-hmm. And knew nothing about training. I so just, did that have down shoot down tube shifters on it still? Yep, or it did. Yes. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. That, the, and I thought there was nothing better. Right. And. Uh, yeah, and so uh, then it was like, okay, uh, boy, I need to I need to step up my game here. Mm-hmm. I need to learn what the equipment is today. I need to know how to train. I need to you know nutrition. I need to know sleep. I need to know you know how yeah. to ride a race like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and uh, I took that out as a full time school. I love to learn, so I took that out as a full time schooling. Like it. wow, day I would work out and night I would be looking up all this stuff on the internet. Hmm. But the funny thing was that. Uh, I would strongly advocate anyone that wanted to do something like Transamerica to get a coach. Hmm. Because what I was doing was I put my trainer up in front of the TV, and if I was watching TV, I was, I said, anytime I watch TV, I have to be on I gotta the be train, riding. And any mm-hmm. commercial, I have to be sprinting. That was my workout plan. <laughs> <laughs> I've had trainer rides like that. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and that worked somewhat. But I trained for about nine months on my own, looking on the Internet, and there's a ton of good information on the Internet. But, and trying to apply it as well as I could. Mm-hmm. But then I got a coach for the next nine months. Hmm. And the, the stark difference in my ability, I mean, it's just, it was phenomenal. And yeah. I, have to, I have to shout out, it's Greg Grandgeorge is my coach. Hmm. He's out of Iowa. He has uh, coached a lot of the winners of the Transamerica Bike Race hmm. and the record holders. And I think he's trained some of the people on the Race Across America. Wow. Triathletes. Super into the science of human behavior, yeah. And way into numbers, and does an awesome job. Greg Grand George, Tridematics. That's fantastic. It sounds like he's done an amazing, amazing job for you. Oh, yeah. So, just to give put put this in context for people, how far? Where's the starting point? Where did you end, and how far was it? 
Okay, yeah, the Transamerica Bike Race starts in Astoria, Oregon, mm-hmm. and uh, ends in Yorktown, Virginia. Which, but it doesn't go straight. It goes south down Oregon, then across and back up to Missoula, and then mm. back through the Rockies to the southern wow. Colorado, and then starts going across the country. So mm. it's forty, just shy of 4,200 miles. Mm. Wow. And so as you think about... A, going from touring down the California coast, uh, you know, in a sort of recreational way, how does that distance change your mentality in race? I mean, how do you go from touring, you know, a few hundred miles, a thousand miles, let's say, to racing 4,200 miles? You know, the, the, the real difference is you miss one of the best parts of touring. And just looking is around? The, yeah, smelling the roses, <laughs> meeting the people, mm-hmm. seeing the sights, exploring where you are. Yeah. Now, people say, well, gee, you don't get to see the country. It's like, no, you get to see the entire country at 15 miles an hour. And mm-hmm. that is a lot more than most people ever get. Yeah. When you're racing, mm-hmm. when you're touring, you get it at 15 miles an hour plus. Yeah. You get to actually meet people in a restaurant mm-hmm. and walk and so forth and so on. And so um, that is the biggest difference. I do remember when I started the Transamerica, I had already done the... From like Vancouver Island down to the Bay Area mm-hmm. twice, okay, two different tours, and that's by the way my favorite place to ride hmm. in the country. Just nice, you know. uh, but from Astoria down to kind of almost Southern Oregon is one of my favorite parts of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I toured that with my with the same daughter Sydney that I <laughs> did the other tour with, and uh, actually the family wife and uh, Wendy and, and, and daughter Abby as well, but we did that in like three days. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the Transamerica, I did that in the first half a day Wow! of riding. Wow. So it was just like, so what it is, the whole difference is when you're racing, you sit on your bike. Mm-hmm. And you, ride. Yep. you don't get off your bike. Right. You ride. Right. So you really got to love riding. Yeah. And <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I just like You to love ride. to ride your bike. Right. So, uh, so that's really, so that's the big difference. But I do think touring is the fantastic way to yeah. train. Mm-hmm. Like I'm that. sure it is. Yeah. How uh, how do you go about figuring out pacing? Um, the uh, It's interesting because uh, Greg would, uh, Greg actually works out a schedule of, mm-hmm. of how much power you should be putting out. Hmm. But estimate. And of course, following that for 19 days is a very tricky thing to do. Yep. Uh, but what ends up being helpful is um, estimating how fast you want to leave, how hmm. fast you want to go, because the excitement of a race, like <laughs> everybody wants to bolt. Absolutely. In all of the races, you know, a 630-mile <laughs> race to the border and back, yeah. you want to bolt. And, and the longer you can keep comfortable, the longer you can go before you get gas, mm-hmm. the stronger you're going to be as the race goes on. Yeah. It's an endurance race, mm-hmm. it's not a bolt. Right. And so what, what he basically did was he gave me a power number to watch. Mm-hmm. And he said, Standard that power number, mm-hmm. and you know he was saying for the first day I cannot misunderstood and thought it was like the first three days, <laughs> so I stayed under it for a longer than I needed to. Yeah, but I talked with Jamie Hayes, who who uh, was is the women's record holder mm-hmm. for that race, and and Evan uh, Legends, who was the record holder until hmm. two years ago. Um, and both of them said the same thing: stay fresh as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my coach saying. I would love to see somebody hit it hard day four and five, yeah. not day three. So anyway, what happens is I took off, and going uphill, everybody passed me. And going downhill, I could keep my power up so I could actually pedal, and a lot of people just coast. So Inter- I was yeah, catching sure. backed up to people. Interesting. But by and large, I was falling back. I was in the mid-late 
20s, mm-hmm. maybe even early 30s at the end, mm. you know, during the daylight hours of the first day. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, and, uh, but, and then the idea is you just, once, once that gets harder to maintain, then mm-hmm. you just try to maintain as high a power as you can. Sure. For the rest of the way. Yep. But I had kind of done that for three days. Mm-hmm. So um, come day four and five is when I started to put on the call. Yep. It, because there's just that little voice in my head from something that Greg had told me a long time earlier. He goes, I'd just like to see somebody kick it on day four and five. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to kick it on day four and five. Then. So, it seems like good advice. Yeah. And, and, and it was good advice. And it, it uh, so, yeah, so you, basically the idea is try to figure out what your uh, tempo pace is mm-hmm. right off the bat. Yep. And just keep that for, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a shorter race, maybe four hours. And sure. Then let her go. And yep. if you can do better, do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's a longer race like Transamerica, you know, keep it for a day or two. Yeah. And and then obviously you've got to get off the bike to eat and, you know, have a nature break and things like that. How do you start to plan that out? Do you plan that out or do you kind of let your body dictate what you're going to do yeah um you what you do is you you don't pre-plan necessarily where you're going to stop unless there's only one place to stop sure within a couple right of miles. yep and that's on that race there is a lot of places like that i bet i mean i actually had a little spreadsheet on my phone that, that i listed out all the restaurants and all the mm-hmm. and all the convenience stores because yeah. they were so far apart. but by and large it is you go as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when I was training, I was thinking if I could take a one-hour break out of every four hours of riding, I'd be doing good until mm-hmm. I talked to Evan. And he mm-hmm. said, well, I only took two hours. I tried to keep it to one to two hours of break a day, a 16-hour biking day. Wow. So all of a sudden, my goals changed. And I said, okay, I want to keep one to two hours off bike. And that's for maintenance, bathroom, food, wow. liquids for my 16-hour bike day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't always ride 16 sure. hours either. but. And I didn't always do it in yeah. two hours of breaks either. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the goal. Yeah. And that, that was really key. You used the, the phrase uh, coffee nap earlier in the conversation. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. You know, I said there was a lot of things I learned, tried to learn before I went. And mm-hmm. the two were sleep-related and both were impactful. One is a coffee nap. And a coffee nap is also known as a power nap in mm-hmm. parts of the world. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, all of everyone's heard that phrase. But for someone, uh, if you're tired, and this is appropriate for anyone, like mm-hmm. saying driving home from Chicago late at night and you're tired, if you drink a cup of coffee and then lie down or get in a very restful position mm-hmm. and try to fall asleep or fall asleep, you will wake up in 15 to 20 minutes because that's about as long as the caffeine takes to hit your system. Hmm. You'll be in stage one sleep and you'll wake up reasonably refreshed. Hmm. And with that 15 to 25, 30 minutes of absolute outside, absolute, you don't want to go longer because then you fall into real sleep mm-hmm. and you'll never wake up. But um, that's equivalent to about four hours of night sleep. No kidding. And it will keep you. It kept me going for four hours. So I wow. Could, if I was knew it was a really long day, um, like on that North Star that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and, mm-hmm. and two arbors, it was like, okay, I'm going to eat a big meal, and then at the end of that meal, I order a cup of coffee, a cup of coke, and a chocolate cake. Hmm. And I just snarfed all that down at one time. I went across to sleep and just laid down in the grass on the side of the road. So hmm. Fifteen minutes got up. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. So that's a really good thing to know for anyone. Absolutely. Anytime, uh, 
Okay. Yeah, something else? absolutely. The other thing I learned about sleep, which was really interesting, and most people know sleep have cycles, sure. kind of sine wave yep. cycles, mm-hmm. uh, and there's four stages, and the first stage is that drowsy, comfortable stage, and mm-hmm. the second stage is where you... Uh, where your uh, short-term memory is kind of going into long-term memory from a brain standpoint, mm-hmm. it's starting to recover some of its lighter tissue areas. Third stage is really heavy sleep, where your where your brain is basically turned off mm-hmm. and your body is just recovering. Your your breath goes real slow, mm-hmm. your, your blood pressure goes down, your body temperatures go down, and you're just re- you're rebuilding cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then stage four is REM, where uh, all of a sudden your, your your mind goes wild, and it kind of there's actually a paralysis between your head and your body, so hmm. you're acting out your your dreams. Yeah, but it's cleaning out all the toxins in your brain. Mm-hmm. Well, if you wake up in stage uh, late stage two or three mm-hmm. or or REM, you wake up, but primarily three, mm-hmm. you wake up groggy, mm-hmm. and you will not degrog yourself until you actually go through an entire sleep cycle again. Wow. doesn't matter if, you know, so a lot of people wake up with an alarm clock and they're groggy. They might have a cup of coffee. Sure, they're awake, but then the whole day is just sluggish mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, so what I tried, I, I read about this about uh, almost a year before I did the race, and I started te- trying to teach myself how to wake up at the right times. Wow. So I put my iPhone next to my bed upside down, and if you touch the volume and the and the power button at the same time will take a screenshot. Yep. And so what I try to do is every time in the middle of the night, and I'm a sound sleeper normally, I'm, a, I'm usually a rock. Hmm. And so, but every time I felt like I could almost sort of feel like I was awake, I'd reach over and just touch those two buttons. Hmm. Wouldn't wake up, wouldn't look at it, you know, phone was upside down, wouldn't be any light, whatever, and just go back to sleep. And then I'd do that again next time. And, hmm. and then in the morning, I'd start analyzing when did I wake up during the night hmm. to try to figure out what my sleep cycle was? And then I'd think about how, when I went to bed, how tired I was, how stressed I was, what I'm doing the next day. Da, da. And yeah. I was trying to correlate all this stuff together. And I was thinking, wow, I've, I've got cracked the, the code. secret to that. I've <laughs> cracked the code. Well, you know, it's really funny because I really thought I had cracked the code for a long time until about midway through the race, I really started thinking about this because when I was doing the Transamerica bike race, I was 19 yep. nights. 17 of those nights I woke up without an alarm. Wow. And but what I found was that a sleep cycle for me is just like everybody else. It's about an hour and a half. Interesting. And so, and by the way, that's why you do a power nap in under 30 minutes because that's when you're in phase one. Interesting. So you can okay. phase one. Right. But anyway, so I just uh, cut this long story a little bit shorter. <laughs> um, so what happened is what I found was that I taught myself how to realize when I was in phase one sleep. Wow. And so when I was on the race, I would get to my spot to sleep, and I'd say, okay, am I going to sleep for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. three hours, four and a half, or six? Yep. And, if I, and usually I'd pick three, and I'd say, okay, if three, I'd set my alarm for three hours and 15, or three hours and 12 minutes mm-hmm. later, and invariably I'd wake up before the alarm went off. Wow. And, and, and the only two times I did not on the entire race, I, I slept until the alarm, and I was groggy, and those were my two least productive days interesting felt the worst all wow those days too. so yeah so that was, that's something that can be very helpful for anyone too because once you learn how to wake up you don't need an alarm clock and right you wake up more refreshed yeah. yeah as you reflect on this first experience what what is kind of your standout memory from that that very first transamerica bike race wow <laughs> I mean, is there is there a moment in the race where you kind of said, 
okay, I know I've, I'm going to come in where I hope to? Yeah, there was. And unfortunately, it's kind of a long story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, so how do I cut that to just a, a moment <laughs> in time? Well, to answer your, I'll skip the long story completely, and I'll talk about it a different time. When I got to Kansas, I was, I was in second place, and it varied between 20 miles to third place to hmm. 70 miles wow. to third place or something. I mean, it doesn't take long to ride 20 miles on a bike. Right. If you stop at a restaurant. Sure. You know, that's yep. the difference. That's right. right. Yep. So, um, but I realized that I some nights I would ride through. I'd do day, night, day, mm-hmm. and then sleep the next night. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'd just ride a long day. And sometimes I'd ride day, night, mm-hmm. and, then let, and then sleep during the morning, which was a stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, training slow night hours. Yeah. Fast day hours. But anyway, I realized that the guy behind me, Omar, who's also an extremely good bike rider, uh, and has a business of riding ultra, you know, training hmm. ultra distance riding. Wow. Um, would have a very regimented schedule. And so he got up at, you know, quarter to six. Uh, you know, he's on his bike riding yep. by quarter to six. And, you know, and, and then he would end, you know, well into the evening. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, as long as I could get up by the time and be on my bike by quarter to six, yep. I can just ride longer until he's. Stop. Right. And he will never catch up. And right. So that was my big aha. But that's uh-huh. not, not, not a very fun story. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you're obviously watching people along the way. You're watching yep. your spot checker and knowing where you are. At what point? So it sounded like you, you moved into second place pretty early because you had talked about it those early days. Yeah. You were, you know, way back in the pack. Yeah. When did you start to make up that time? It was day four and five. Really? Um, and it was really, it was it was the highlight of the trip, hmm. without a doubt. Um, on day, f- uh, day four um, actually was uh, the two of the six largest climbs, uh, the uh, Lola Pass, mm-hmm. which is where Lewis and Clark mm-hmm. practically died, Yep. and uh, the Whitebird Pass, hmm. which on bicycle is a really long son of a gun. Really? And uh, they, so you do these two, and the Lola Pass is 90 miles from oh, bottom man. to top with no brick. It's, oh. it's up the whole way. <laughs> and I got up to the top, and my sisters who live out of Montana were on the side of the road with a little sign, and oh yeah, this That's is That's great. And uh, I wanted to change my clothes, and I said, could, you, could I lean on you? They go, no, we can't give you help. This self-supported. Right. I'm falling over. <laughs> but anyway, the next day, I got up. I mean, I was so exhausted that day. And the next day, I got up, and I had, from that, I had gotten into fourth place. Let's hmm. Yeah, fourth place. And I start taking off, and I get into the Wisdom Valley. There's a hole in the valley, hmm. is what they call it. And, and there's a great book. Um, Last bust of wisdom, by the way. If you, ever, <laughs> if you ever need a really good kind of human yeah. book, human storybook. Anyway, um, and I got in that valley, and I noticed that the two guys, the first place was uh, uh, was long gone, but this guy, second mm-hmm. and third, were not too far in front of me, and I and I was stopping because it was hot and windy and hot yeah. and windy, and they were never stopped. Hmm. And I could see they were never stopping. I could see because there'd be one gas station. Any mm-hmm. other bikers here today? Nope. Nope. Kind wow. Of thing. And uh, get to the Wisdom Valley, and it's and the guy goes, "Boy, you're going to have a tough time because the road 
turns from going east to south, and right there, there's a southern wind of about oh, 38. He goes, we have a, I'm having a reading of 38 miles an hour coming from the south oh, right up that red. Man. You're going to be going down for 40 miles. <laughs> and so I, I have this, this, this notion of embrace the elements. You know, <laughs> you know like if it's really windy, then right. love the wind. Yeah. And I start going, and actually people kid me about that, but uh, I start going, and I'm tucked down on my aero bars, and I'm going mm-hmm. on my bike. I have a frame pack. I have a front pack and I have a seat pack. Mm-hmm. So there's like I'm a foil. Right. I'm a big foil. Yeah. And I'm also a big sailor from mm. many, many years of my life. And what I realized in this humongous, very high prairie was that the wind was coming down, like it, it, cold air would come down, hit the prairie grass, and then spread out like a cat paw. Sure. Just like you would see water. Uh, coming over coming a waterfall and yeah. hitting sure no hitting yeah on the lake yeah mm-hmm. and i'm used to sailing right and you usually don't see wind when you're mm-hmm. biking but you could see this wind because it had these really cool paragraphs so what i ended up doing was i could see when i was at the front part of the cat's paw or the front part of the puff i would let it push me across the road no cars on this road right and then when i got to the second the back half of that puff i would literally lean my bike down at like 45 degree angle like a windsurfer yeah and just ride it up to the other side of the road and i had my power meter and my speed and all this stuff that i'm looking at and i am gaining speed and losing power every time i'm doing this (laughs) and so i'm scalloping up this straight road for 40 miles and i'm catching the guy in front of me who's just like hating life (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like wow this is the coolest thing wow so so the the path to success in an ultra endurance bike ride is become a sailor (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm taking away from this well living in the moment and and embracing the moment really helps yeah i can only imagine because it's like everybody's gonna have to ride through this crud you know that's just yeah uh, that's right let's just uh enjoy it and and know that that that's the other nice thing too is you have a power if you have a power meter Mm -hmm. you can see okay i'm putting out the power i should i don't have to feel bad about going six miles right yeah Yeah. you can't do anything about the wind can't do anything about it. It's right. like, okay, if I'm doing six at my power, yeah. if I try anymore, I'm going to kill myself. Right. And if I get just get, and you normally would get discouraged if you're mm-hmm. looking at your speedometer and yep. seeing six, it's like, oh, God. I exactly. Go. You don't want to do that. No. You got to keep within yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So you also did Paris Brest Paris, which is kind of the legendary randonneuring race. I mean, it's everybody who's ever been familiar with cycling kind of knows it. But it's a different environment in that you've got a time limit. So talk a little bit about the psychology of doing that race when you know you have to come in under a certain amount of time. Well, it's uh, it is that is nice. Uh, that is a very big distinction. Yeah, it's a pass fail. Right. Know? And uh, but the time limit is pretty generous. Okay. If you take it as a quote unquote race. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's a ride in the country. Sure. And as long as you are efficient with your time. And, the, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that Ronda Nearing really teaches our endurance mm-hmm. how to be efficient with your brakes. And so if you're efficient with your time, you should be able to do your time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, but that's just an amazing, amazing event. First of all, that's a forerunner to the Tour de France. Yep. Uh, and second, that uh, it's limited to six thousand people. Hmm. So there's bikers on the road everywhere for yeah. 750 miles. Wow. It's just unbelievable. That's amazing. 
And it happens only every four years, right? It happens every four years. And so you also need to qualify for that that race. And you've got to do different distances starting at 200 kilometers or 120 miles. What was your qualification process like? Where did you do that? Yeah, to to be able to ride in that, you have to do a Super Rondineer series, Mm -hmm. which is a 200K, 300K, 400K, and 600K the same year prior to June Mm -hmm. 1st or whatever. Uh, But because it's capped at 6,000 people and Mm -hmm. people want to do this from around the world, Mm -hmm. you have to pre-register to get in because it actually fills up before pre-registration is done. Wow. And so to pre-register the year prior, you need, the more you've ridden, the the sooner you can pre-register. So if you do that same Super Adenir series, two, three, four, and 600K rides, you get to register first. If you only do up to 400, you get to register second. Right. So so basically you have to do two Super Radonir series Hmm. in a row, you know, two years in a row. Wow. to qualify yeah. to ride it. Wow. And that's probably good because as I kind of cavalierly said, oh, yeah, as long as you manage your time, you right. can get your It's t- just a ride in the country. It's just a ride in the country. <laughs> it's a ride in the country for somebody that can do a 600K. Yeah. Know, so, which yep. is, you know, what, 370 miles or so, 380 miles. And, so. and when, so 4,200 miles is obviously much farther. I mean, it's six times as long to do, to go across America as to do the PBP. Right. How did you change your approach to the riding and to the preparation and to the, you know, your schedule? Yeah, you it, well, the, the main thing was that when you do a major ride like like the Trans Am, um, it, it takes a toll on your body. Yeah. I mean, I was done, and I was not anywhere near as strong as I was when I started. I'm sure. Um, and so it's a recovery game. And so um, originally, my original goal for um, PBP was just to finish, mm-hmm. to even do the thing. And I spent the bulk of my time between those two events trying to recover. Hmm. Now, you can't recover just purely on the couch. You sure. You recover with riding at moderate rates mm-hmm. and paces and try to build yourself back up. So, and, and so... How how what were your goals after you decided? Well, okay, I want to do better than just finish. What? How did you set your goals for PBP? Well, it's really funny because I uh, a really good friend of mine, Rob, what Rob, Rob Welsh, who is, happens to be the head of the Minnesota Rondineers, mm. uh, is was gung ho about doing mm-hmm. it. He's done it. I think this was his fourth or fifth time of doing it, and he was like, "Oh, you got to do that." And we we wrote a lot together mm-hmm. in preparation and great guy. And he made it so easy for me to do it. He registered me while I was on the Trans Am. Nice. He talked me into doing my Super Engineer Series when I was in Australia, just in case I felt like <laughs> doing it. Because, ironically, uh, because I was doing the Trans Am, I couldn't do the qualifiers in this country yeah, right. in the summer, which is kind of, okay. But um, And then uh, about halfway across... Sorry, rambling a little bit. Halfway across the race, I get this message from Rob, Rob saying... Oh, by the way, all the 200s you've done this year, none of them count. You got to do another one. Oh no! <laughs> in the four days between when you finish your race and the end of qualifying. Oh happens. my gosh! So I ended up having to go to Chicago to do a 300k to get qualified. Oh man! Get it. Anyway, I got there. I forgot what your question even was. Now. So long <laughs> Yeah. So how do you? I, what were your goals? Oh yeah. So anyway, his goal was 68. Hours. Okay. And and, and it, in the, the PVP, it's uh, there's an 80-hour group mm-hmm. and a 90-hour group, and you have to 
blew by 80 or 90. And then there's people that do try to do the Charlie Miller, which is one of the original, I think 1901, he mm -hmm. did it in 56 wow. hours and 40 minutes. Wow. So some people try to break Charlie Miller, otherwise 80 or 90. Mm -hmm. But my buddy was 68 years old, and he wanted to ride his age. He hmm. said, I'll, I'll try to ride your age. That's yeah, great. What the heck? That sounds good. So we took off, and on the first day, we... Um, we were, we were jazzed. We took off like, you know, like racehorses yep. out of the stable kind of thing. And, uh, and we, we were, these trains would form behind us like constantly. After hmm. every control point, we had, you know, would have anywhere from eight to 30 people following us. Wow. With maybe one or two out pulling with us. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, yeah. It was just, and yeah, we had the this worst. reasonable headwind, most, you know, side headwind, maybe a 30 degree, yeah. 15 degree headwind, most of the way out from Paris to Brest. Man. Going west. And, um, and near the end of the day, I mean, I realized, hey, man, you know, we have a long way to go yet. Mm -hmm. I kind of tucked in a little bit further back. And I got, but Rob, he was just strong, and he just blasted up. The, wow. He went right off the front of these trains uphill. Wow. And, you, know, you know, we're talking 250 miles into this thing. Jeez. And, and a guy rode up to me and goes, oh, wow, you're a good rider, but your buddy, boy, <laughs> he's strong. <laughs> so anyway, we are, we're getting tired, and uh, nearly we're, our goal was to, to get breast halfway mm -hmm. on the first night, day, evening. Yep. Okay. And uh, we almost get there, and uh, we're riding a bunch of people that really didn't know what they were doing, and I get ro ridden into twice. Oh behind. man! Yikes! And um, and uh, Rob breaks his carbon wheel. Oh no! And we are within limping distance to Brest, so we make oh, it to man. Brest. And at one thirty in the morning at the control, he got another carbon wheel. With through axle, oh, wow. with the disc brake that fit the whole thing and got wow. it fixed. So that was 31 and a half hours into it. So we were still on track for 68. Yep. But we had really burnt the matches. Then. Yeah, I bet yeah, you had. We had spent a lot of matches. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, we made a bad choice and decided to not sleep long enough. Mm. Not too early. And the next day was not memorable. <laughs> and, we shall never speak of it again. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is the next day we got up, uh, even at the 31 hours uh, time frame, we were looking at each other and he said, you know what? I think I want to forego the 68 hour. Goal. Yeah. Let's, let's just ride it and mm -hmm. have some fun. And maybe we could do 80. And so, so I changed my goal. My, my first goal was to finish. My second yep. was 68. My third goal was to be a friend and actually ride with my buddy. Nice. So the next day we rode together. And like I said, reasonably unmemorable for both of us. Thank good. I mean, there is, <laughs> there is a heaven in this world. You know? <laughs> and we did not. And our second goal was going to, well, if we got it half in the first day and you need to make it in three and a half days, we have yep. lots of options. But we were going to try to make it halfway back the second day. Nice. We didn't make it. Oh, we wow. didn't make it. We had a horrid day. And we get up the next day, and it's like, well, we can still do 80 hours. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, I want to do 80 hours yeah. because, you know, I you know, I just finished Trans Am. I want to mm -hmm. be able to say I did. And he's like, no one's going to give a rip when you finish as long as you get done. And I said, well, I, but anyway, so we take off, and we're going to shoot for 80 hours. And we run into this other guy, Michael from Slovakia. And uh, he rides with us for a while and can keep our pace. And, uh, and basically... Um, Go, we we make one of the unusual stops at a real bakery and have real good French food and it's like oh this is good. He goes, can I ride with you? Sure, yeah, right. There. So as the day goes on, uh, Rob's starting to run out of gas, mm -hmm. and, and understandably so. And and I'm starting to get a little more annoying about 
let's do let's this go. Let's, right. go. let's yep. go. Let's go. And I'm finding myself, you know, first coaching and then then coaxing and then like <laughs> starting to become a knock. Cajoling, knock right. Just, yeah, right. <laughs> Not good. And and uh, finally, um, I, I kind of accidentally got ahead of them because I went up a, a hill faster and I went, got to a control and I was like, okay, I'm just going to put my arm around these guys and say, great riding. I, yep. I want to make you ARs. Take your time and you, you've got it made too. Well, I, I put my arm around Rob and he goes, and I said, I really want to do 80 hours. And he had just got to the control, hadn't eaten, hadn't yep. rest, no water, no. He goes, okay, let's do it. Wow. And it was like, okay. And we took off and, and it was real clear immediately that was not going to happen. Yeah. And so we finally parted ways. And I said to Michael, do you want to ride with me and try to do 80? Oh, that day we started off and we had to ride 14.4 miles an hour to make it. Wow. 80. And then it was like 14.8 and then 15, yep. 15, 2. And, and so did like, you make it? Well, yeah, yeah. The last 94 miles we took off, we not a single person passed us. Wow. The whole, and they <laughs> That's had great. Cha- and Michael decided to ride with me because his wife was doing whatever. And uh, the funny thing was he followed me almost the whole way. Yeah, what nice. Was wonderful was the GPS route that we were given was wrong at the Oh, jeez. And so in the middle of the night, they had little signs on yep. the side of the road that you had to see. I couldn't see. Oh. I couldn't see any of them. <laughs> but he was right behind me saying, left at the next turn, left at the next turn. That's like, great. Oh, so you yeah, made it as a team. Oh, yeah. And That's we raced great. in there, ran in. Guy went around the little castle. There's a little circle there with bleachers for all the, the people that are supposed to be watching you come in. Yep. We came in at a weird time. There's three people. There. <laughs> One clap. We didn't care. We raced. You climb, were over done. The, climb over the fence, race to the control because it's not official until they sign you get, your card. Right. And we get in there, and it's like the Blues Brothers movie when they finally get to the place to pay the bill for the penguin, and they're in the elevator and it's ding, 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 and this this lady in her cardigan sweater is that's like great. sitting there. And it's that's like, great. Right the time, and we did. We made it by seventeen minutes. That's so. fantastic. Well, Keith, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming into the show today, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, people are aware of uh, how to find find you through the Minnesota Randoners, and uh, hopefully, we can get you some riding partners. Yeah, mnrando.org. MNRando.org. Keith, thanks again for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota.
Please. Income tax. 